I've got my notes here this morning. How do you like that? Al made those for me for down at the school. Isn't that cool? He is so gifted with that. Thank you, brother. What a blessing. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. And let's read some of those verses there beginning with verse 1 this morning. Down through verse 5. We're going to handle verses 3 through 5 this morning. Probably just 3 and 4, but we'll get where we're going. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Just like Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering. A sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Let's stop right there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come this morning on... Uh, I just, I love your word. I love the truth that it gives us and the life that it brings. There's glory there, Father. Enliven our hearts in that glory this morning as we speak uh, about these difficult passages. These are kind of negative passages, sexual immorality. Nobody wants to talk about that. But, Father, what we see in this is the blessed hope of the gospel and the way it's changing us. Help us to see that this morning. Help us to see the positive work of the gospel in each one of our lives. Uh, Father, the work that you're doing that can't be done any other way. You're changing the will of man because you've regenerated our hearts and our minds. And we're being sanctified in your truth. Thank you for that this day, Father. Go past my simple words this morning and speak directly to your people. In Jesus' name I pray and ask these things. Amen. All right, if you have your bulletins with you this morning, you see I called this slaying the dragon. Uh, I'm going to try to make that connection because it's the dragon that's responsible for all sexual immorality, impurity and covetousness, uh, the filthiness, the foolishness, all of that is a work of him. And I'm going to read just a few stats for you this morning to see the enormity of that work that he's doing in the culture. Now, these stats are from 2018 because they're hard to get. Realistic ones are, anyway. And realistically, even though these are five years old, many of the professionals that try to get and understand this information will tell you that it's almost doubled since 2018. So when you hear these numbers, uh, the men and women I trust that look into these things are saying they've almost doubled, which is outstanding really it's about pornography I don't know if you know of the pervasiveness of pornography but there's a company called Covenant Eyes that uh, helps men and women who are caught in pornography uh, by protecting all of their devices and causing accountability and they've become one of the most trusted companies out there in regards to this work this report was generated by them and their professionals in 2018, there were 109 billion 
with a billion, 12 million, 68,000 pornography videos viewed on the world's largest porn site. There's three that are the largest, but this was just the one. 109 billion, 12 million videos. That was just in 2018. That's enough for 14 videos per person on the planet. <laughs> Here's the real truth. Men are 543% more likely to look at porn than females. 91.5% of men report using porn in the last month. 60% of women reported the same. Those numbers are staggering, aren't they? Of course, Americans are the largest consumers of pornography on the planet. 81 million daily average visits, 50,000 searches for it per minute, 800 searches per second. That's astounding, isn't it? And when I'm, when I'm saying that, I'm talking about Google searches. 800 per second. All of the videos that have been uploaded to this one site, would, if we played them back to back, would be 68 years worth of content. They would take up enough storage to fill every iPhone on the planet. Isn't that staggering? And that's all driven by sexual immorality. I won't go further because this fallout from sexual immorality on humanity is horrific. Here's the truth. If all men gave up sexual immorality tomorrow, the porn industry would collapse. That's not going to happen, is it? That's not real. That's not the real world. The real world is a fallen world where sexual immorality exists. In the real world, all men, including Christian men, experience real temptations towards sexual immorality. And because men do, women do. Yes, women are guilty of sexual immorality as well. It shouldn't be a surprise to any of us. Listen, it's simple. It works off an age-old principle. Women want to be attractive, and men desire attractive women. And this is how we got into this whole mess to begin with. The best way to fix this mess is to get rid of yoga pants, right? No. <laughs> that probably wouldn't fix it. What will fix the problem? And shouldn't the preacher just rail on the men here this morning for about the next hour? To get this straightened out in their lives? All the women say, yeah, preacher, do that, right? But that shouldn't help us this morning. That's a no, emphatically no, on both of those things, on yoga pants and on railing on men. Why? Because this is the real world. I said that already. This is the real world. Everyday life is filled with sexual immorality because sexual immorality is an everyday life. If you've got one of these, you've seen it. Probably already this morning. If you've turned on the TV, you've seen it. Probably already this morning. If you've been on Facebook, good chances are that you've dealt with it already this morning. So I say that just in case you're asleep already this morning. I could read you all of those pornography stats again. They're, they're deafening when you read them and understand the complexity and the immensity of the issue. But it should be no surprise. I mean, any of us that's ever worked on a construction crew, been in a factory, how about car mechanics, right? Been around some sailors lately. They're famous for these things. They got a girl in every port, the old saying goes. What we find is sexual immorality is a real world problem. 
and a real-world problem, not just for the lost, but also for those who claim Christ Jesus as Lord. It has to be dealt with, so let's look at some positive steps we can take to thwart what is a huge snare that the enemy uses happily to entrap men and women in. Let's begin by just doing the simple things. Let's define what sexual immorality is. What is the biblical definition of sexual immorality? It's simple. It's not complicated whatsoever. The biblical term translated sexual immorality is the Greek word pornea. What's that sound like? It's where we get our word pornography. Why doesn't the Bible translate it as porn or pornography? Because everything outside the biblical norm for sexual intercourse and sexual expression is properly called sexual immorality. In other words, you get the understanding of what sexual immorality is in the Bible by reading what proper use of that is in the Bible. Word plays try to usurp this and usurp all of these things, but it's very simple. Sexual morality is anything that sex outside the Bible is not divine, designed for. And where does that come from? What is the basis for all the sexual immorality that exists? It comes from the dragon, and that's why I named this sermon Slaying the Dragon. Because if you're to slay the sexual immorality in your life, and I, I don't, probably don't need to press this point, but haven't we all dealt with it at some point? Let me just by really quickly, I want to gather everybody in here and say, Jesus said that if you've ever looked at a woman in lust, or a man for the woman, right? That you've created or committed adultery in your heart. So to say that this doesn't pertain to you or somebody that you know is just wrong. If 91.5% of men and 16.5% of women view pornography day, uh, once a month, um, it's a problem. It's a problem. So I want to tell you this morning, men expressly, because I told you that this passage in chapter 5 and 6 has a masculine ethic. Not that it leaves out the women, not that women can't be involved in sexual immorality. It takes both of them, like I told you. Not that women can't be dragon slayers. Let's see the men in the prime role here this morning. Men, we must become dragon slayers. You know what a dragon is? That great beast? We're to slay them in our lives. We're to literally cut their heads from off their bodies like David did and then hold up the head of Goliath saying we have got the victory. We've got the victory over sexual immorality. We've got victory over pornography. We've got victory over these things that are not befitting saints. Did you see that, by the way, in Ephesians? Look one more time there with me before we go to Revelation here this morning. Look at Ephesians because what we're talking about is the positive effect of what sainthood is. And I'm going to bring this in at the end, but don't miss this. What is a saint? Hagioi is the Greek word. It's also translated holy. Now look at what Paul says. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you who are holy. You who are the saints of God. It can't be. That's why you need to slay the dragon. That's why, beloved, when we look at how the church gets marred in this world, 
What is the way that most pastors fall? They have some kind of affair. And they fall. Sexual immorality in the church cannot stand. We've been going through 1 Corinthians in our evening service on Wednesday nights. And Paul talks about how it is debilitating to the church. How it destroys the glory of God in the church. We allow this to happen among one another. So men, let's slay the dragon. Women, let's help men slay the dragon. Together, let's slay the dragon of sexual immorality so that it's not named among any in this church. Let's go to Revelations 12 and start in verse 9 and see what the dragon is just to begin with. Revelation 12, that's the last book in your Bible. The one that Miss Donna wants me to go through so badly. We're going to do that someday. I can't wait to do that. Revelations chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Beginning in verse 9 down through 11. Well, let's go back to verse 7. Ah, yes, I don't want to leave out 7. This is very instructive. War came about in heaven. If there's one stance that we should have against sexual immorality and the dragon in our lives, it's the stance of war. We want to kill the dragon. Be gone, Satan, right? Kill the dragon. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down to the earth, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Beloved, there's the first instructive things. That great angel, that great deceiver, that devil, that Satan is in this world today and he is at the bottom of every bit of sexual immorality that exists. You know why it's him? You know why he's the dragon? You know why he needs to be slayed in our lives? Because he wants to rob glory from God. He wants to not only rob glory from God, but he wants to take it from you. He wants to get you involved in pornography and sexual immorality so that you're guilty and shameful, so that it diminishes your voice on who God is. It diminishes your witness and your testimony so that every time, do you see there, it called him the accuser, so that every time that you come up and you're ready to win, he starts to accuse you before the God in heaven. And that shame and that guilt drag you down because you didn't kill that devil yet. You didn't slay that dragon. He is the deceiver of the whole world. It's his lies and it's his deception. And he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Verse 10, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. That's what he's doing. He's accusing you. Every time you slip, every time you dwell too long on that picture, you're drawn to it because it's natural. And he takes what is natural in your life and perverts it just enough. And he makes it look good. He makes it look good so that you desire it. And everybody around you is going to tell you it's good. But you know to hide it, don't you? 
One of the things that I must tell you this morning, and that you've heard from me before probably, is that when I was 12 years old, I was baptized. I went forward in the Baptist church where we were members. I went forward in that Baptist church and I was baptized because I was scared of hell. And I knew my mom would be really pleased if I got baptized. And so when I was 12 years old, about a month after I went forward, I was baptized. And you know what happened less than two weeks later? I found my father's whole stash of pornography. 12-year-old boy. And for the next 10 years, I dealt with that. Until I slayed that dragon. Until somebody told me I needed to slay that dragon. It will burn you. Scripture tells us that who can take burning coals to his chest and not get burned? Pornography and sexual immorality will burn your house to the ground. Don't let the dragon take you to the ground. Because he's going to make it look good. He's going to deceive. He has deceived the whole earth. And when we see that word there in verse, I think it was in verse 9, he has deceived the whole earth because we can look at the whole earth. These numbers portray that the whole earth is involved at some level in pornography. But where did this begin? And where does it begin for us? And where do we start to stand as men? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to work in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, says this. Now the serpent was more crafty. There he is, the serpent. Right in his name, it tells us. The Lord tells us that he was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And where do we find him? Do we find him going after Adam the man? No, we find him going after Eve the woman. He's going to begin to make an emotional argument. Because God made Eve a certain way, she's going to begin to understand that argument. And she's going to begin to reason with that argument. And she's going to partake of the fruit because he went to her for a purpose. He knew that his argument would be made better with her than it would have with Adam from the beginning. Now, he was a crafty beast. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? There's the first thing this crafty beast does. He tries to make you believe that God's word is too limiting or too restrictive. He tries to make you believe that God's good design for marriage and sex is limiting. He tries to make you believe that God is withholding something from you and it's not good enough. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat of the tree of every tree of the garden? Did God really say that homosexuality is a sin? Did God really say that pornography is bad. Yeah, God really said those things. But when it becomes an emotional argument, it's a lot easier to blur the lines. And once you blur the lines, you've already sinned. And that's what he did because she conceived in her mind. She'd already been told by Adam and understood through Adam that the fruit was not to be eaten or death would come. But she began to conceive in her mind that the fruit looked good, that the fruit must have tasted good. They didn't spit it out. You've heard me say that a million times. That it didn't, didn't, it was good, good to eat. Keep going here. Verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of every fruit of the trees in the garden, God said. You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. You shouldn't even touch it lest you die. See, she understood 
the logic, the practicalities of the argument. But the serpent started again. He said to the woman, oh, you'll surely not die. Doesn't that seem too harsh of punishment? Really? You can view a little bit of pornography and it won't hurt your marriage. Hmm. That's the greatest lie that Satan's ever told, brothers. Slay that dragon. Young men that are sitting here today, slay that dragon. You'll surely not die. Well, listen, this is God. He created everything. He walked with them in the cool of the garden. This is why it becomes an emotional argument. There is no doubt that they would have died. It's God's command. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw, and here comes this part of it, that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she ate of the fruit. She partook of it. Because the dragon wasn't slayed there that day, man. And who was responsible for slaying that dragon that day? I didn't hear anybody say it. Adam was. In fact, Adam did what we most often do, men. It's our weakest nature, part of our nature. We stand there with our mouths closed and not say a word. That's, how, that's the only way that you can get proportions like this in pornography because it's made okay. Look at that in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she gave some to her husband and he was with her and he ate. He stood right there quiet. Why is it his responsibility? Why is it him that should have slayed the dragon? Why is it him that should have looked at Satan and said, you know, and took out his sword and lopped off the head of that giant that was scaring his beloved wife to death? Bringing her to death, literally? Because it was his job. Go back to chapter 2, begin in verse 15. This was before Eve was ever made, beloved. Men, take note. There's a simple little saying I have, slay the dragon and get the girl. Slay the dragons in your life and get the girl. Protect her. Protect all women. Protect all weak. Slay the dragons in your life and get the girl. This is what Adam failed to do. That's why Christ had to come. Look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man. Now, everywhere you see the man in these first three chapters, from chapter 2 on, it is definite article, ha-adam. That means Adam. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Right there is number one, what a man was made for. Provide and protect. What's he going to protect? He's going to protect his own little garden in this world. He's going to work it, and he's going to protect it. He's going to provide for his own family and his own little sphere in this world, and he's going to protect his own family and his own little sphere in this world. He's going to slay the dragon when it comes into his realm and save the girl. And the Lord God commanded the man, and the question becomes then, how, 
How can the man do that? And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. You see that there? God just gave Adam the greatest tool that has ever been given to man to slay the dragon. His word. His commandments. The scripture is a two-edged sword, right? It cuts asunder to the bone and to the marrow, getting into the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It gets right down there to where we are and who we are. And that's where Satan is, and that's where he wants control, and that's where he robs glory, and that's where he gets the guilt and the shame in your life, and that's where you need to pull that sword and take that head and save that girl. Because if Adam was to save his girl on the day in chapter 3 that came, that she was tempted, it was to say that the God of heaven said, no, don't eat of the fruit, because in the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. But he failed. And Satan got his girl. It's a sad story, and it would end right there if that was the end of the story. He should have slayed the dragon and got the girl. But he didn't. But who did? The Lord Jesus Christ did. The Lord Jesus Christ slayed the dragon on the cross. And he saved his girl, the bride, his church. You see that? He saved his bride, the church, of all of which we are included. And let's go back to Ephesians. Let's work on that word saints just a little bit. And by his salvation, we are healed. We are able to fight off our own dragons. We become saints, beloved. This is why it's not fitting, and this is why this is not negative overall because as saints we are holy we are set apart you see it's juxtaposed with the word there in verse 5 back to Ephesians 1 verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 5 but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints the ones who are holy don't have any filthy or foolish talk or crude joking by the way Sexual immorality is just not viewing pornography. It's fornication. It's everything that is not being married to your wife and expressing the sexual relationship in that sphere. But it's also filthiness and foolish talk and crude joking. You guys know what those are. Call those out in song lyrics all the time. These things are out of place. Why are they out of place? Because they're opposite of what God wants us to be as his saints. He said, instead of doing these things, just be thankful. For you may be sure of that. What are you thankful for? Verse 5 tells us. You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Did you catch it there in verse 5? You see the word verse 3, saints, that is pure, that is holy, that is set apart. And then you see there in verse 5, the impure. You see it? The impure, the unholy the immoral, those who are not God's children act like that. And though that sin is damning to them, it's not damning in the way it is to the church. Very quickly, go back to the first chapter. This is what God has made us for. Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You see that? Verse 4, why did he choose us? He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be what? Holy and blameless and set apart. Then go to verse 18 in this same chapter with me, beloved. This is why it is so wrong for saints to be involved with sexual immorality. This is what verse 18 says. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened to the point so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What is the hope ultimately that Christ has called us to? Is that we are his glorious inheritance. You see that in verse 18? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Beloved, each one of you are an inheritance of the Lord Jesus Christ. A beloved gift from the Father. That's why you're to be set apart. That's why you're to be holy. That's why you're not to be stained by the things of this world. That's why you're to cut off the head of the dragon in your life. Now let's look at some practical applications over the next hour on how that works. First, there's the spiritual and the intellectual side of this. The word of God is powerful. I said earlier, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of the soul and the spirit. It gets in there. It gets in our thought life. It gets in there where we are, where our mind is and our heart is. And it gets into where we're discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Beloved, if we're to slay the dragon, if we're to take the head off the dragon from the sin in this world, we're to know the word of God, read the word of God, study the word of God, and memorize the word of God so that we'll defeat the lies of the dragon. You see that? The word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Paul's going to say in Ephesians chapter 6 when we get there, it is the sword that we take up to defeat the lies of the enemy, that great accuser of men. So we're to know the word of God, read the word of God, study the word of God, and memorize the word of God. Because the battle is taking place in our minds. It's in our minds, beloved. He loves to work in your mind. And then there's the physical aspect of the argument. The yoga pants, I call it. My wife knows to this day that if there's a girl in front of us with yoga pants on, why I look down. That's just what I do to honor her. What I do to get my mind going the different direction to fight the physical part of this, because when your eyes see that, they can see that and go, that's a sin, turn away. Or they can see it and delight in it. That's the fight right there. It's momentary. It's right there. Sexual immorality is all around us. It's, it permeates this world. But do I partake in it? And the one thing that helped me more than anything else in my struggle was the memorization of Scripture. I memorized the whole 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Who hath heard our report? And to whom is the Lord... Uh, 
arm of the Lord been revealed. For he grew up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry, and so on. All 12 verses. I know them by heart. I can recite them. Not as well as I used to. You know why? Because it works. It gets in. It gets into the thoughts and the intents of my heart, and it channels my heart, beloved. It channels my heart away from what God doesn't want for me and back to him. You see that? Grab that sword and take that dragon. It's a war. Young man, it's a war. Defend the girl. Another great practical thing you can do is seek out godly men who have slayed their own dragons. Seek out godly men and women who have lived life long enough to slay their dragons. They're all around us in a church. That, beloved, is what the church is for. Don't be afraid to reach out and to say that you need help in working and dealing with your sexual immorality. And then the final thing that I want to talk about just briefly, there's so many other things that I could have added this morning, but the big two here is understand and know the Word of God so that you can apply the Word of God immediately because that, that fight is right there in your own heart. And the second thing is the other tool that God gave Adam. Do you know what that is? Do we need to go back to Genesis for a half hour? Huh? Who, who said that? Eve. Eve's the other. He's, she's a missing component. Remember what God said? It's not good for you to be alone, Adam. He was right, by the way. Men by themselves are barbarians. Look at any inner city. It's our wives and our children and the one to provide and protect that tames us. Eve. Eve is his helpmate. Remember what he said when he saw her? This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He could instantly see what was missing in him. Not that there was anything missing in him, but how she complimented everything of who he was. Remember, he had just named all the animals. He could see how the male cows and the female cows could go together and be fruitful and multiply and fill and subdue the earth. That was his command. That was our command as well. The cultural mandate was to be fruitful, multiply, fill, and subdue the earth, but something was missing for him, chapter 2 says. What was that something? It was Eve. God blessed man when he gave him woman because she was taken out of him. So a good, godly marriage. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians, just momentarily, chapter 7. First Corinthians chapter seven. I just want to put this together for you. Because marriage will slay the dragon, beloved. Listen, let me read Proverbs five for you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. I don't want to embarrass my wife this morning, but this is the way I feel about her after 30 years. She fills me with delight. And I know it is a gift of God. The, Solomon goes on, he says, be intoxicated always in her love. You want to stop sexual immorality in a man's life? Give him a godly marriage. And if you take the dragon, you can get the girl. 
Marriage was given to defeat the dragon, specifically given to defeat the dragon. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Did I tell you the chapter? Let's begin in verse 2. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, what? It was back then too? Paul writes this. Because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. There's nothing unequal here, is there? It's just as much the man as it is the woman. Each man should have his own wife because of uh, the desire towards sexual immorality and each woman should have her own husband because of the desire towards sexual immorality. Verse 3 goes on to tell us that they should not withhold the sexual part of the relationship from one another. And why? Let's keep reading it. It's simple words. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. What are conjugal rights? Right? The conjugal rights are uh, the rights the husband has to have sexual relationship with his wife and vice versa. Paul makes these equal. Don't, don't miss this part. Verse 3, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body. You know, if it stopped right there, it would, it would just fulfill every feminist thought of what every man was ever made for, right? But it doesn't stop there because God is good and because he created human flourishing and to flourish through marriage. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And then he goes on to say, why again? Do not deprive one another except perhaps that you agree to for a limited time so that you could devote yourselves to spiritual things, to prayer, but then come together again. Why? So that Satan may not tempt you because you're alive. You see that? Marriage. Men, slay your dragons, take the girl. Slay your dragons and take the girl. This is the positive of what God is doing in the lives of saints. I said earlier that Jesus slayed the dragon and took the girl. That is the gospel. He came from heaven, and what Adam failed to do, Jesus defeated on the cross once for all, for all times. The Satan was defeated at that time, and because Jesus defeated Satan, he won his girl, the bride, the church, through his blood. Do you see that? Men, listen, if you learn anything from Christ, be willing to give up your life so that you can save her and get the girl. Slay the dragon. Slay the dragons in your life. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's porn. Maybe it's work. Whatever it is, slay those things so that you can get the girl. Jesus, in no uncertain terms, defeated Satan on the cross of Calvary. And in that defeat, in that blood-bought victory, in his work, which was complete, the church was established in his blood. His bride, each one of us sitting here today that claim Christ as Lord. That is the gospel, beloved. Men, in Christ, and only in Christ, you can slay your dragons. Women, in Christ, and only in Christ, you can slay your dragons. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died so that we could have life. 
He died so that we can not only have life, but that we could be saints and have victory over our sin. Do you see that? That's the positive part of this. Though sexual immorality exists, we are his saints. He is doing something that only the gospel can do in the will of man. I wish I had another hour because I would go into how many people are trying to be good morally. But we are being changed to be holy. Do you understand the difference? People are trying to be good morally and they fail over and over again, but we are being exchanged to be holy, to be gifts to him. Live that way, right? That's what Paul's saying. Remember? Live that way. Walk in this manner. Walk in this manner. Gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to a close today. I'm overwhelmed by the goodness of your word. Help us, help the men here. Help each one of us slay the dragons. Our world needs dragon slayers. Our church needs them. This community needs them. We need good godly families, good godly marriages that are raising good godly children. Be pleased to do that in us, Father. Be pleased to do that in the men of this church. Glorify your own self through what you do and the work in the gospel through Park Bible Baptist Church and these beloved saints here at 95 Sparks Avenue. Thank you for your word, Father. It's in that world, word that we, we have life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, if the men will come.